This message is the last in what has developed into a three-part series on the Gospel. Not so much what the Gospel is, we do that on other occasions, in fact on Friday evening, Artie Kendall in his School of Theology will be talking about whatever happened to the Gospel. Just listen to a few Billy Graham messages which are now being revitalized on YouTube following his death and you realize how many churches and how far society itself has slipped away from the message, the basic message of the Gospel. But I'm not so much talking about what the Gospel is at the moment, I'm talking about what the Gospel does and what the Gospel calls us to. And uh, in the first message I talked about the first E of edification, meaning the Gospel calls us to build one another up. It's not just saying yes to Jesus and forgetting about it. When you say yes to Jesus, you are brought into a community where you share Christ together and we have a duty, a responsibility and indeed a need in ourselves to share Christ with one another and to continue to do so at our point of need by the right kind of intervention, the right kind of outside reminder. Every week at a certain day, it's bin day in our house and in our area and Amanda and I remind each other and it's a sort of a little bit of a game who can get there first, who can remind who first because the answer always is yes I know it's bin day so I say it's bin day, yes I know but she always gets in first, it's bin day, yes I know but there are times when I don't know, <laughs> I forget oh it's bin day so we've got to get it organized and so in the same way that we have to remind ourselves which day is bin day to get rid of the rubbish out of our house. There are reminders that we need to give to one another to get that rubbish out of our lives and to build ourselves up in Christ. I need you as much as you need me in this together. Edification. Then we went on to talk about the extended E of evangelism. The gospel itself calls us to keep on propagating it. So the message doesn't stop with us. We see a generational dynamic on the platform today. We saw grandfather, father and sons. And if any generation stops propagating, the generation ends there. Same in the Christian life. We are only one generation away from extinction if no more evangelism takes place. If this generation stops sharing Jesus, then it ends with us because God has no grandchildren he only has children and those children need to be born into his family every generation and in that message not only did I stress how important it is to share Christ with those who are near to you your friends your family your work colleagues but we cannot simply keep it in the Jerusalem of our lives. We've got to extend the gospel further afield to the farthest reaches of the earth, but not just across the ocean, but to break down the barriers of different groupings, people that you and I would never normally meet. We've got to go out of our way to meet them. I have been doing this laboriously in recent years, built up contacts of 
people who don't yet know Christ from all over the world, linking with social media wherever I go, hundreds of them in Brazil, people I would never have met, never have spoken to, but I went out of my way to meet them where they were. And, uh, and, and the thing is, is when you open your heart to people and just be who you are, generally they respect you, generally they accept you, if you don't go in with a negative and critical spirit, if you don't judge them, if you listen to them and engage with them and commit to them. And I've realized that there are so many people who are out of the sphere of influence, ordinarily speaking, of our churches. And that's why I encourage every single one of you to see yourselves as ministers of the gospel. Wherever you go, tomorrow if you're working, how many people are working tomorrow? We pray for you. <laughs> but when you get to work, the rest of us, on Tuesday, you'll be in a different world. It will be an alien environment, unless you're working in Kensington Temple, and that's pretty alien for some of us too in the middle of the week. But God has sent you as aliens and missionaries. Sometimes you just go to work you think on another planet. It ain't what we see here. It's another world. But that's exactly the point. He sent you into the world. There, the workplace is your place to shine for Christ. Break down the barriers. I wish I had time to share with you. I'll have to work it out over the next weeks. We have so many opportunities that are coming to us right now, opportunities to influence, to be there in whole new movements that are being raised up in Britain to stand up for truth. There's so many things that we are doing and I need more and more workers, that's why please pray for me, pray for me, pray for me because the demands on my time are, are very, very severe. But I don't want to try and do it all myself, you know that's not my philosophy. I'm here to help you and you're here to help me. We do it together. Alright, so the Gospel, third E, is the E of empowering and equipping. The Gospel empowers you, the Gospel releases divine power in you to love God, to live for God and to serve God. That's my third and final E. Philippians chapter 4, as I said, verse 10 and onwards. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I read that verse in context. I want to come to the verse again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the empowering of the gospel, but notice the context. This is about finding in Christ a source 
a resource, a renewable resource, a renewable energy to face whatever life throws at you. It's a bad metaphor because it's not life throwing it at you. Sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's your brother <laughs> or your sister. But whatever comes your way. Remember this, it's also an inadequate statement because nothing is ever thrown at you. Because God himself is overall in control. He does not let anything come into your life other than that which can be used for your benefit ultimately and for his glory. But we have to learn the secret of being content, in other words, glorifying God, not being passive and just accepting everything that comes our way because we can change stuff. But the point is, is that we are looking to resources from the inside of us by the Spirit so that our happiness and is not determined by the external circumstances. There is an internal engine now, of course, it's the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm focusing on his power and influence. So some of my illustrations are a bit like a mechanical, but, but the engine on the inside of us who is Mr. Holy Spirit representing Jesus in our lives, that person who energizes us from within gives you the energy, the resources, the capacity, to face every situation and do three things. Love God, live for God, and serve God. Now, I want that kind of energy, don't you? Can I say that again so you're with me? I want that kind of energy, don't you? Yes. All right. So, there are times when, are there not, when we feel ourselves lacking in energy. I notice people drinking this drink. Um, it's something to do with cows and oxen. What is it? Red Bull. Who said that? Somebody in the balcony, they obviously got the wings, didn't they? And um, I'm not saying I'm for it or against it. I'm just saying I'm a very different person. I'm usually all jumpy anyway, but after that, I'm jumpier than a grasshopper. But there are times when we feel we're lacking in energy. And if we're wise, we look at the nutrition, we look at how much rest we're getting, we look at, at uh, how we deal with our emotions. I discovered that the number one reason why people's immune systems are compromised I'm not talking about the uh, times of uh, the, the critical times, where if somebody has uh, a compromised immune system through HIV infection, or compromised immune system through the medication and the treatments coming from cancer, those those things are, are high up there for when there are critical experiences of immune system. But the number one reason for a compromised chronically compromised immune system is stress. And managing our stress levels is as important as you do this, you learn how to do this, and you will have more energy. Now, 
I could go on and talk about that. Maybe I'll come back and do that another day. But in the meantime, my book, Managing Your Emotions, is, is a good start in that area. But those are the things we think about. We talk about the natural sense and our natural bodies that we are lacking in energy. Also, we check out our relationships, the people who we're around. I have noticed, and my friend describes it like this, it's what I'm saying is not original, but he put words to my thoughts. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are the drainers and they are the radiators. You know, every radiator, the one that we have in our central heating systems, has a little draining thing on it. And uh, you've got to bleed it out at the end of the summer and the air gets released. And sometimes you have to drain the whole system. There are people who will drain the hot water out of the radiator of your life just in five minutes of being with them. <laughs> then there are others who are radiators. They're a source of joy, they're a source of blessing. Just being in their presence, you in the words of John Wesley feel greatly warmed and encouraged. And if you're not careful, those are the people, the only people you spend time with. But the others, the, the drainers, they, they need help. But the, but the thing is, there are people who just drain you. Just drain you. And we need sources of renewable energy, spiritual energy, emotional energy. And the Christian life requires energy. In fact, it is impossible without the energizing influence of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? We're not just trying to live a hard life, a difficult life, a tough life. It is even more serious than that. The Christian life is an impossible life without the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Paul, is carrying on with the same thought, says, that's why I, through Christ, can do everything, all things, because he strengthens me. We need that energy to come to Christ in the first place. Do you know it's the attractional working, uh, the attractional uh, um, influence of the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus attractive to us. Naturally speaking, we wouldn't be interested. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I went to church and it was boring, I'm not interested. Of course, nobody's interested. And if you're clever enough to get their interest with some clever stuff, you can't hold their interest. Because, you see, the, the natural person, the natural heart, the natural mind, without the Holy Spirit, not only isn't attracted to Jesus, but is repelled by him. Did you know that? We have to face that. The flesh is 100% resistant to God. The flesh hates God. That's how it is. Read your Bibles, you find that is the devastating state of the human condition. Naturally speaking, we are anti-God. And we can be very religious in our anti-God. We can look very moral and be anti-God. It's not just the atheists who are anti-God. Some of the strictest religionists of our day are the most ardent God-haters. How do you say that? They say they love God, yes, but Jesus said, he that has the Son has the Father. 
And people's attitude to Christ will tell you what they really feel about God. Did you know that? A lot of people will talk about God, but the moment you mention Jesus, all the, you know, they, they sort of get outraged. But if Jesus Christ is God's Son and God's most precious gift to us, what you do with Jesus tells you what you think about God. But Jesus said, no one can come to the Son unless the Father draw him. It is the subject of ministerial leadership conferences all over the world when ministers get together. What do you think we talk about? Do you think we say, Oh, brother, I've got the hardest church members. There's Mrs. So-and-so, and they go on and on and on and complain about... Listen, pastors complain about the church members as much as the members complain about the pastors when they're not around. So it's even Stevens there. But beyond that, one of the things we do is say, how can we do it better? And we look at the world, we see all the people out there totally indifferent, if not hostile. How do we win them? And the conversation often goes like this. How can we make church more attractive? And it's kind of a good question. One man said, how do we do church better? Do church. Well, that's the first mistake. You know, I'm, I'm sometimes, I'm, I, I go down like a lead balloon in these meetings because I can't stand people blathering on and missing the point. So I'm saying, don't even try to do church. What? You don't do church, brother. You are the church. Oh, sit down, Colin, shut up, you know. But some of the, that language betrays attitudes. You don't do church, you are the church. We are not human doings, we're human beings. Be who you are in Christ, and when Christ shines through your life, it's attractive. Oh yes it is. It's very attractive. Because the Holy Spirit is committed to spotlighting Jesus and showing the world how attractive it is. Isaiah, the prophet, not the baby, Isaiah, said, there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. Because externally speaking, he was the very opposite of who we were expecting. The one who was despised and rejected by men. This one. No, he could not be the Christ until the Holy Spirit comes and the revelation of the Father comes and suddenly one day I remember it as yesterday, the day in my life when the Holy Spirit showed me Jesus and I said, well, I want him because he is the ultimate attractive one and the love of Jesus is the most attractive influence in the world. I promise you this, Release the love of God in your life and through your life and you will draw the lost to Christ as a magnet draws metal to itself. No gimmicks. Oh yeah, give them food, be nice, do all the stuff that we know ought to be done. But the most attractive thing is no gimmick at all. It's the attraction of Christ, especially the Christ who died on the cross. That message is the message that draws sinners. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so it's the Holy Spirit 
that brings us to Christ in the first place. And when that happens, something wonderful takes place. And if I may say so, this is the difference between the Christian faith and every other religion. It's a bold statement, but just think about it. When you become a Christian, not only does God accept you as you are, totally unconditionally in his love, he also works in your life from that moment onwards to give you the energy, the mindset, the power, the authority, the capacity to love him, live for him, and serve him. This is a great lesson, a great lesson. Don't even try to do it on your own. But when Christ is in your life, you don't have to do it alone. You are yoked with him, and he in you is the life that is lived out there. Let Christ take over. Put him in the driving seat. Um, one of the great dangers of people in my position, in my time of life, when I have a lot of experience, I have more experience represented in my gray hairs than in some of your heads, even though you've dyed some of the gray out. <laughs> you know, I've studied and studied and studied. I have read the Bible many, many, many times, preached many, many, many sermons. And so I know some stuff. I'm not saying I know everything, I'm not being arrogant, but the point is, is that you do, over the years, pick up stuff and some experience. But I dare not for one second trust in my experience to get me through. I need something fresh from the Holy Spirit. Even if this week was exactly like last week, this week's energy and power must be fresh. I can't serve you stale bread. It has to be fresh, baked from heaven. I need to depend on the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. A lot of times that's easy because most of the time I haven't a clue what to do. But if ever I try to use my own wisdom and bring it before God and say, God, I know how to do this, I don't need you, that is a disaster. So the very moment you surrender to Christ, from that moment onward, second by second, every second of every day, you and I are totally dependent on him. Without me, you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And how does it begin? This energizing, enabling power comes from the realization of God's love. Love God, live for God, serve God. Now, this is so simple, you might all, almost dismiss it as Sunday school material. And I want to tell you, it will only have the effect on you that the Spirit gives it right now. But some of you, we all need to be reminded of, but some of you really need to hear this. God loves you. 
And that must come not just through the sound of my voice or the letters on a page, because that might touch you intellectually, mentally. But when the revelation of God's love comes into your life, that sets you on course for a successful, prosperous Christian life, a fruitful life. Paul prayed a whole long prayer in Ephesians saying, I want you to know the love of God. And the word know means deep, experiential, personal, relational knowledge. I want you to have a revelation of God's love that you might know the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of this, this love. And he throws this in, which surpasses knowledge. In other words, there is no way you can analyze yourself into this. This comes by reflection, thinking about the love of God, and when the Holy Spirit makes it real in your life, when the love of God is poured into your life by the Holy Spirit, everything changes. You can never be the same again. As much as we need love, we are very clever at resisting it. This generation, this broken generation, I think of somebody in particular sharing the love of God and uh, when you start talking about that, very, people are very, very suspicious. It's as if you're saying to somebody, here, I've got this amazing deal. There's ten Rolls Royces around, it's five pounds each. Ten Rolls Royces for you, five pounds each. No, you must be kidding. Where did you steal them from? No, no, they're ten Rolls Royces, five pounds each. We have this saying, uh, and it's very true in financial matters, if somebody promises you somebody, somebody from Nigeria says, I've got $10 million, I need, your, I need your bank account, remember, that is a scam, and it's not just Nigeria that does it, okay? Not just Nigeria. They've perfected it, but it's not just Nigeria. Uh, but you know, people, whoever they are, can con you out of money by making it sound so good, this is amazing, and here is the financial advice. You won't get better than this. This is worth a million dollars to you today. If it seems too good to be true, then it is too be good to be true. But, and that, that kind of skepticism is very valid in the ordinary courses of natural life and living, but if you are that cynical and skeptical and push it into every area of your life, into church life, brothers and sisters and family and so on, you're going to miss out because God's life God's love is so amazing, so mind-blowing, so out of anything you could possibly imagine or expect that your first instinct is to say it ain't true. So my friend said, how you talk about God's love? Well, you know, he, he, the, the Bible talks about God being a God of wrath and judgment and my mother rejected me, my father rejected me, the whole society rejects me and now you tell me God's going to reject me. I said, I didn't say that. I said, God loves you. Oh yeah? What? Why? What's he want? <laughs> you see, have you ever heard it's a serious question, I don't know the answer to this in your case. Have you ever met somebody or heard somebody who truly loves you for who you are and isn't going to try and manipulate you or try and get something from you? You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. 
And the, and the truth is there are very few comparisons in the earthly realm to anything like the love of God. One of them that still holds today is the love of a mother. The Bible uses the father's love a lot. Unfortunately, fatherhood so often in our society has broken down a whole lot, which is one of the reasons why our society is, is so broken. So what will probably resonate more with most people is a mother's love. A mother's love. I know of a mother in Kensington Temple had a teenage son on drugs, living with her, stealing from her, abusing her. She would go get out of bed every night. The boy was not at home wander around all the streets, all the places where young people got together to do bad stuff, looking for her son, and then go back to bed, nothing more to do but commit him to God. That's a mother's love. Mama, keep loving. But fathers also. Family is so important. And God says, I want to let you know that I am your father. Now God is above gender, you know that? There are images that describe God in male and female terms. So the nurturing side, the nursing, nurturing side, God is the one who nurtures you, like a mother nurses her child. The masculine image of the father, the initiator, the strength, that is there as well. So whatever image we have, we have got to understand that God is saying, I want you to know my love. Because when you know God's love, something happens to you. You are healed on the inside. I wrote this down, I read it to you. Once I see myself in the light of God's love, I begin to understand that I... Can I just start again and read it again? I put it I because I'm writing about me, but I put it down because if I share it with you, it'll apply to you as well. But I want you to know I'm taking this personally. Let me start again. Once I see myself in the light of God's love, I begin to understand that I am a person of infinite worth in his eyes. And I begin to embrace my own value as created in the image of God. And then I see that image being restored in me as I learn to love God and to love others as he first loved me. I wrote it down so I would communicate it accurately. Those few lines is the whole of the message of the Bible. Can you see that? This love moves us out of our self-centeredness and we learn to focus totally on the other, God first and the other. We become other-centered and we do this because we're totally secure in the love God has for us. And we know his love is not just for us, but also for others. And of course, all of that depends on the energy, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Energy to love God, energy to live for God, the moment we choose to surrender to God, to choose what honors God, to, do, to choose to do what is right, in that moment, it has come about for one reason only. I'll use the word impulse. It's the 
impulse of the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible word is leading, the leading of the Spirit. But I want you to understand it like an impulse. And we all have impulses, all have impulses. I was driving my car, I was very happy, keeping to my side of the road, and another big car came along, big bad car came along and smashed my wing mirror. Not important to you? Oh, I don't understand you. I nearly cried, and I had impulses. Just, I stopped my car, I had to do that. I had impulses. We all know the impulses which are not of the Holy Spirit. You look at me all innocent. I know, you're just the same. So we understand the word impulse. And very often, the knee-jerk reaction is to follow that natural fleshly impulse. But, 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 there is a higher impulse, a higher level, the energy of the Holy Spirit, the mind of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the impulse of the Holy Spirit that can take over as you choose to yield to Him. And we need that every single day. And when we do this, dear friends, we're not just doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for one another. Impulse, uh, energy, to love God, to live for God, and to serve God. And this is what is important. I'll come back to this message because I've preached the first half and that's the whole of the message and I think we're done. But let me at least just go for a little while in this direction. Because God doesn't just bring us to himself to make us sit and look good. He's not trying to raise up nice, good Christian men and women. He's raising up a spiritual army. He's raising up an army of servants who will serve one another, serve the city, serve the nation by using all of the spiritual gifts that we have. If we take the term spiritual gifts to something broader than just speaking in tongues, take the term spiritual gifts to mean all that God enables me to do to serve him and to serve each other. Right on the front row, there's probably spiritual gifts from the whole of the range of them. And what you have, she needs. What she has, you need. What he has, we all need. And we need each other. So when we come together, Holy Spirit operates, energizes, and equips us through one another. You may be good at one thing. I may be good at another thing. Christian lives may be good at everything. Woo, she went, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but we need each other. In our cell group ministry, we pull together. You may not be very good with your explanations of the gospel, but there's somebody next to you that can speak as good as anybody else. You, 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 you may be very good at the doctrine. Somebody else will say, well, oh, you're talking about doctrine all the time, but our neighbor needs feeding. You've got people with different gifts. And when we're together, the Holy Spirit gifts move together. We need one another, build one another up, encourage one another, and we are equipped to serve God, all by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's energy to love God, live for God, and to serve God. That's the divine energy that's released by the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've shared with us, a time of worship, 
the ministries we've enjoyed. We pray that today, as we move from this place, we'll go out with a fresher sense of your energy, knowing your love that more fully, and also being better positioned to serve you in the world that is outside.